0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 6th of February 2011, entitled Living a Life of Grace and Joy, Part 2, and the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 to 17. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to open your Bibles this evening, and take our reading again this evening from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. (coughs) We'll read the first 17 verses, and I invite you to stand with us to honor the reading of God's holy word, beginning in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 1. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came unto his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold. "'Certain of the scribes said within themselves, "'This man blasphemeth.' And "'Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, "'Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? "'For whether it is easier to say, "'Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. "'But that ye may know that the Son of Man "'hath power on earth to forgive sins.' Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. He arose and departed to his house. When the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. As Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. He arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. Go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast off, but thy disciples fast not? Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. No man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break. The wine runneth out, and the bottles perish, but they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. Father, we thank you again for your precious, precious word. And Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray now that as we spend these next moments together that you would take and anoint, use thy unworthy servant, quicken and make your word alive into the hearts of each one. Lord, speak and do that which only you can do, In the hearts of men, for it's in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Well, I can only apologize if you were not here this morning because I do not have time to go back and preach that sermon as well. But our thoughts today, morning and evening, are living a life of grace and joy. Living a life of grace and joy. We went back this morning, and I'm not going to read all of the passages, but I would like to read just a couple of bits. And back in Romans chapter 5, and notice what the Word of God says in verses 1 through 11. He says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then. The Atonement. Now, look back at verse 2 there again, particularly. Talking about, of course, through the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. As Christians, do you know? You have the choice. You can live in the grace and the joy of the Lord. Well, you can be just as miserable as you want to be. <laughs> you see, the truth is, the Bible is talking here about joying in tribulations and the problems and the, the difficult and the troubled times. And we won't go back. If you want the references, I'll give them to you that we looked at this morning. We looked first of all back in the Gospel of John and we saw that it was when Jesus Christ came into this world, the Bible says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you know what he said? He was full of grace and truth. It came with Jesus and he was given to each and every one of us. We look back in the book of Acts and we find back in chapter 4 in those early days when people were being saved by the thousands. We find that it was God's grace and God's joy. We find as we move over into chapter 11, when the persecutions come and they start being scattered all about, when they got there, the thing that they spoke of was the grace that they found in those people. Even though the very freedom to worship was trying to be taken from them. We looked at a couple of things that Peter then later recorded from those experiences in both 1st and 2nd Peter. The thing is, right through the Word of God, we find that the Bible teaches us very clearly. You see, it wasn't just grace that saved us. Thank God there's no other way, for by grace are you saved through faith. Full stop, that's it. But we find as we read in Romans... It's not just the grace that saved us, but it's that grace wherein we stand right now. You see, by grace we're saved. By grace we stand. By grace we're sustained, and by grace we serve Him. I remind you that it was the prophet Nehemiah that said, It's the joy of the Lord that is your strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We used to sing it in Sunday school, but we forget it when we get older. The truth is, is that boy, life can get tough sometimes. I mean, the tribulations can get hard. And the truth is, is that I don't mean to diminish anything that you might be going through. But folks, most of us don't really know what hard is. You could be one of our Christian brothers and sisters that is there in Egypt right now in all the turmoil. You could be one of those that was on the the coast of Australia when this humongous cyclone came through and wiped away everything they had. You could be one of our brothers and sisters in Christ that's truly living in one of the third world countries that would look at you and think that you were absolutely filthy, rich. And wonder, what in the world are you worried about? (laughs) But yet, I don't say that to belittle. I'm just saying most of the time we don't really stop to count our blessings when we start looking at our, our problems and our troubles and our difficulties anyway. But they're real to you, I know. Now we looked at some things this morning as we looked at verses 9 through 13 of this passage. And if you weren't here this morning, I'm not going to take time to read it this evening, or I'm not going to get through the thoughts I want to share with you, but I also begin by giving you a little excerpt of one of Mr. C.H. Spurgeon's sermons as a matter of illustration that he wrote on the simple verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, which says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice And it's worth reading. But as we look this morning, we saw in these first verses, we look mainly at this thing because as we look throughout the Word of God, there's something that's tied in with this grace and this joy. That's this matter of obedience. And we looked at very simple things this morning. You know, some of God's greatest truths You know, the greatest truth that's ever been given to man is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet the Bible says that it's so simple that a child can understand it. Sometimes we try to impress people and take God's simple truths and make them, what did he say? (laughs) The truth is, some of the greatest truths are some of the simplest truths. We saw as we looked at this one Matthew here this morning, And what God did in his life, I may comment, you never heard a sermon that short, have you? (laughs) What did Jesus say? Follow me. (laughs) Follow me. And what did he do? He got up and he followed. You see, if you're going to live, I mean truly live, a life of grace and joy, then, the very first step, no matter what, there's no way in the world without that first step of obedience in following Christ, which is conversion. Folks, you can't get there. You got to come through that if you're going to stand in the grace that's here now. You got to come through that grace that's yours at salvation. The first step of obedience in conversion. The second thing in verses 10 to 12, and we know this as we compare the other gospels, and this is the same account. The man Matthew was so excited after he met Jesus, you know what he did? He went out and invited all of his sinner friends in, and he had a feast so that they could meet Jesus. I mean immediately. He didn't just forsake them. We know that he didn't go back to them, though, for any other purpose. Man, he invited them all over. We find that the other simple truth was not only obedience in following Christ, but in proclaiming Christ. Conversion followed by confession. (laughs) We want God's grace, God's joy in our life. But are we really confessing him before people? Are we just trying to kind of keep it quiet? (laughs) We know we're going to heaven, so that's all that matters. He was a guy, he had a pretty important position. But as soon as he was converted, well, he wanted to confess it to all of them. And then we saw in verse 13, this matter of conversation not just in our words, but we communicate with our very lifestyles. And we looked at that. But I want you to direct your attention on now as we look on from that. You see, living a life of grace and joy is a real option for you tonight. And every one of you can, can, can choose to live that life or not to live that life. That's what God wants for you. And if you, if we, as we saw this morning, If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, whatever it is, whatever it is in your past that you keep going back to, whatever it is that you're having trouble getting over, whatever it is that you're fighting and struggling with in your life, can we just grasp and understand it's not too big for God? I don't care what it is, I don't care what you did. When Jesus Christ died, his sacrifice was sufficient for whatever you did. And whenever you did it. I said this morning, it can be as we look into God's word, from the simple sin of disobedience to that of taking someone else's life. And anything else you want to put on the list. You see, don't allow your joy to be taken from you because of something that's happened anytime, anywhere. Maybe it did hurt deep. But I'm saying to you, God's grace is sufficient. Whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever that tribulation is, whatever it is in your life that's so discouraging that's got you down, I'm saying to you, it's not too big for God. But if you're determined to make the choice to carry it out of here with you, and to go through life letting it beat you down and drag you down and make life miserable for you. That's your choice, not God's. This evening, you see, this life of grace and joy, it not only has to do with obedience, but I want you to know something this evening. It's got to do with completeness. Preacher, what in the world are you talking about? I want to give you three things from this passage I want you to notice what's taking place here, first of all, in verses 14 and 15. You see, first of all, he says here in verse 14 Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but thy disciples fast not? You want to live in the grace and the joy of the Lord? You need to join the celebration. You need to join the celebration. You know, preacher, what are you talking about? I mean, so many times people just stand back and they look and they see all these other people that are happy, that are enjoying life, that are really being fulfilled in life, and they're just on the outside watching. You need to join the celebration. You see, If you're a child of God, you're the bride of Christ. Guess what? You've been invited to the party. You've been invited to the celebration. You've got a personal invitation to be there. Now he tells us here in verse 14, then came to him the disciples of John. Now again, if you take and you compare this with the same account in the gospel of Mark and the gospel of Luke, you find the Pharisees were still there too. That in fact, it was the disciples of John and the Pharisees that were troubled with this thing. They were fasting. I mean, they were just doing without food. And here was these disciples of Jesus. Man, they were feasting it up and celebrating. They couldn't figure this out. I got a feeling that probably these disciples of John and these Pharisees, they probably saw themselves as a bit more spiritual. (laughs) Why? We're fasting and doing this great religious thing. And man, they're just enjoying themselves. They're out there celebrating and eating and doing all these things. You got to give them credit though. Not like before. Earlier, Jesus had to read the Pharisees thoughts at least the disciples of John, they were honorable enough to come to him face to face say, look, we got a problem with this. What's going on here? You know, it can. Now be careful and understand what I'm saying through this. Don't lose me. I'll try not to lose you. It can be a very dangerous thing when anyone allows their own religious activities to make them feel superior to someone else. Because they're doing some religious activity that the other person isn't, that they're somehow more spiritual, more superior. That seems to be the attitude that these disciples of John and these Pharisees are coming to Jesus with, well, you know, we're doing this really spiritual thing of fasting, but Why aren't your disciples doing that? Why are they out there enjoying themselves? Well, Jesus says, okay, you ask me, I'll tell you. In verse 15, and Jesus said unto them. I like the way he answers a question with a question a lot of times to make you think. (laughs) Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. You see, Jesus explains, while he's near, while the bridegroom is near, it's a time to celebrate. There's going to be a time when he's not there that then will be a time to fast. You know, it's not my sermon tonight, but I won't charge you extra. I mean, the simple fact is, is that in most of our vocabularies, we kind of scratch our head at this whole fasting thing anyway. I'll give you some more on that in a minute. The simple truth is, is that it's interesting that he didn't answer the first part of that question. (laughs) Why do we and the Pharisees, why do we fast often? He answers the second part but thy disciples fast not." Well, he tells them why his disciples aren't fasting. I mean, the first part was so stupid that you better answer for yourself while you're doing your fasting. I'll tell you why my disciples are not fasting, because right now is the time for them to join in the celebration. You see, how many of you, have, anybody here have never been to a wedding? Have you ever been to a wedding where everybody was dressed in black and spoke really quietly and just cried and cried and they were so sorrowful? I mean, what a miserable lot. No? Thank God I've never been to a wedding like that. (laughs) I've seen a few tears, but uh, not in that way. Weddings are a time of joy. Yeah, Sometimes there's some brides and grooms that are a little bit nervous and shaking and scary, and sometimes there's others that are taking part that are a bit nervous about it as well. But a wedding is a time of celebration, a time of joy. The funeral is the place that you'll have the sorrow. Even there, there's some things to rejoice over, but there's a time and a place. The wedding feast wasn't the the time or the place, it's a time to rejoice. You see, what Jesus is telling them is that, man, his nearness ought to bring rejoicing. Now, man, that's simple, but that's an awesome truth. Do you know why so many Christians don't feel more joy than they do? Because they don't feel the nearness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can make out a whole list of things. That's not my point tonight why that nearness isn't there. I can promise you, folks, you're a child of God. When you feel the nearness of him, you're going to be happy. (laughs) I dare you to try and be sad. You're going to be happy. You enjoy him being there. You enjoy the nearness that comes from it. And that's the point that Jesus is making to them here. You see, I don't mean this to be mean but you ought not to let the little, tiny, insignificant things of this world take away the great joy that you can have in the Lord. That's usually what happens. And it's the little things that take away His nearness. It's the little things that get between us and Him. I've never met a Christian that... Well, a Christian that was really a Christian anyway... (laughs) that would intentionally do something to drive the Lord away. Folks, there's little things that get in the way. We shouldn't allow those things to come along and separate us. And of course, he's really looking ahead here because he knows there's going to come a time. He knows, he knows his death is ahead. He knows there's going to be a time when he's not going to be with them. Anymore. You see, with us, our Lord should be our joy. That's how we can joy in the midst of the tribulations and the distress and all the difficult times. His presence should bring celebration, His presence should bring joy to our hearts. His absence. Bring fasting, now, folks. There's a time. You see, the time when most people need fasting the most in their life is where they're coming up to some critical, some crucial point when, boy, they need God in such a such a special way. We find that, oftentimes, people even do it on a regular basis because for them. But may I say this? If you're going to practice the ritualistic fasting that is being described that the Pharisees and John's disciples were practicing here, you may as well go ahead and eat your food and forget it anyway. Ritualistic fasting that's just there to make you feel like you're a better, more spiritual Christian than somebody else, It's useless. It's worthless. When you push away from the food of this world, to spend time with Him. Starving yourself isn't going to accomplish anything. But the idea is to take yourself away from that which would benefit the flesh, the body. Spend that time with Him that might benefit the spiritual instead. All Christians should have that more in their lives. Most of us don't do it enough. That's not what He's condemning here. It's this ritualistic religious activity that, just like anything else that doesn't come from the heart, it's a waste of time. We find that the realities of fasting, as he's describing here, his only note he speaks here of the the children of the bread cha- of the of the bride chamber, the friends of the bridegroom. When his Lord isn't near, there's a time for fasting and there's a time for feasting. May I say this to you? Too many people today have got it backwards. Instead of fasting from the physical food to feed the spiritual, they're fasting from the spiritual and feeding the physical. Not spending the time with the Lord, but doing the things that will accomplish what they want in the physical realm instead. It's all reversed. All the the time that should be spent with the Lord just isn't there. No wedding. No wedding can take place without the bridegroom and the bride. The truth is, is that in your Christian life, there won't be any real delight without Jesus. His presence will be the fullness of joy. His absence will bring the depth of misery. We find that we can just simply ask ourselves a simple question. Do we know His nearness in such a way that this evening we're joining in the celebration? Because he's near to us. We need to join the celebration. But I want to make another point that I believe that he's making here. You need to rejoice in the transformation. <laughs> you need to rejoice in the transformation. You see, the completeness of the job that he does in our lives. He's making a point here that he doesn't get involved in patching things up. <laughs> Notice what he says in verse 16. No man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. He doesn't patch up the old garment. You know what he does? He gives you a brand new robe of righteousness, praise God. (laughs) He gives you a brand new one. Jesus didn't come in this case to patch up and repair Israel's worn out vesture. He came to bring them new robes just like he did you and I. The example that he's using again is so simple. You take a garment and it's got a rent or a tear. Well, you don't take a a garment that's been washed all these times and it's already shrunk as much as it's going to shrunk, shrink. You put a new piece of cloth on there to patch that, that rent, that tear, that rip that's in it. Guess what's going to happen when you go to wash it again. That new piece of cloth is going to shrink because it hasn't shrunk yet. <laughs> and it's going to make a worse mess than what you had to start with. <laughs> Jesus said, It doesn't work that way. He's not going to have them join the fasting just because that it's an old ritual that is carrying on the old way. They weren't there to repair the old worn out stuff that was an impossibility anyway. They were the new, unshrunk at this time. The spirit of tradition hadn't got a hold of them yet. (laughs) To try to enclose them in the old rituals would in the end end up with a worse mess than what they had to start with. Genuine believers, they shouldn't try to attempt to fellowship with the old the old ceremony, the old rituals, the old things that are really just going to be out of place. Jesus did not come to patch up your old religious ideas and traditions, no matter where they came from. He didn't come to patch up any outward religion. He came to clothe his children in new robes of righteousness, these attempts that were being made here by the nation of Israel even those that had become christians trying to mix the old ceremonialism and traditionalism and legalism and all that with the new was just making the rent worse you see religion will never be a substitute for the reality of christ in your life never it can't work So many times, so many times people try to unite by compromising errors, mixing the old with the new. You know what's going to happen in the end? The rent's going to be worse than ever. True fellowship can only come in truth. Yes, it should be spoken in love. Yes, people can fight and pick and divide over some of the stupidest things you ever heard of in your life but to compromise the Word of God, to compromise doctrines, to compromise what this book says in order to be a part of the new out there. Folks, that's not what we're here for. To be a part of the old. The old and the new don't mix. We find that if we want to live a life of grace and joy. Not only does it require that Obedience that comes in following the Lord Jesus Christ, proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ, and in living a life that Christ could truly be seen in and, and, and accomplished work through. But it comes in as a child of God, as a bridegroom. You got to join in the celebrations. Quit sitting on the sidelines feeling sorry for yourself. You've got so much to rejoice in. You need to join in the celebrations and you need to rejoice in the transformation that God has done in your life. He didn't come and patch up the old. He came and gave you individually a new robe of righteousness. He did something that nobody else could do for you. And yet, Do you know his nearness in your life? I want to give you one final thing out of verse 17 here. You need to join the celebration. and You need to rejoice in the transformation. You need to start to trust in his preservation. You see, for something to destroy you, it means either he's going to have to have done a halfway job and didn't complete it in the first place, they're going to have to get through him to get to you. We try to preserve ourselves so many times. We try to preserve our own ideas. We try to preserve what we have somehow boxed together as our own Christian values. Notice he uses another illustration in verse 17. He says, Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. You see, he does it completely. He does it right. But I like that for both are preserved. He does it in a way that he will preserve you forever. Now, remember in the last illustration, he's using this old piece of cloth being patched up with a new piece of cloth that hasn't been shrunk and therefore in the end, when it begins to shrink, it's going to mess up the whole thing. Now he's using the wine bottles, just the opposite really but the same type meaning in this. You see, they used these animal skin bottles. And they would actually put the wine into those bottles. And of course, as the wine fermented, guess what would happen to the skins? They would stretch. They would stretch. But the truth was, it was was made to do that, and therefore, it was preserved. But you take that old skin that had already been stretched, And then you put new wine into it. And guess what happened? If it began to ferment and that skin was already stretched to its limits, just like he says here, it's going to burst. No way. New wine's got to go into the new bottle. We find that at this time, Judaism had degenerated. It's the old bottle, the old skin. They had become a bunch of legalistic Pharisees. Our Lord was not about to pour the new wine of the kingdom of heaven into those old bottles. No way. He wouldn't hold it. It wouldn't stand it. John's disciples, though they were sincere, the problem was they were trying to emulate the Pharisees. They were trying to emulate religion. They were trying to, to emulate that which looked religious. This was a new and a living way that Jesus had brought. We find that they were fasting when they could have and should have been feasting with the Lord Jesus Christ. and Jesus wasn't going to have anything to do with it. This was not an amalgamation of the old and the new. He was building a new church. And yes, there were some new teachings. Yes, there was a new spirit. Compromise was often proposed in their day just as it is in ours. Good, sincere people, just like John's disciples Many today would do the same and have us to conform to the religious ideas, to what they think is good, the things that are established by man. But folks, that's not what we need. If it's going to be preserved, in other words, if it's going to last, Christ is the one that must do it. You want to live in the grace and joy of the Lord? Do you want to know a joy, peace, happiness amidst all the tribulations and the problems and all the discouragements that come along? Yes, you get discouraged. I get discouraged. We all get discouraged. But there's something there that we can find a a joy in the midst of that that we sing about earlier that we've read about in God's Word. A joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's what God has for us. That's the, op- the option that we have before us. Old cloth is always going to be tearing. You try to just stick new pieces in the old. The old just needs to be left. needs to be left for those that want their Antiquity and their religion and their activities. It's like mixing a wedding feast and a funeral. Folks, they don't go together. The patching of the old cloth with that new unshrunk, the putting of new wine into the old bottles or skins. It's all pictures, pictures of mixtures and compromises that might seem practical and might seem good at the time, but it can't last. It can't serve any lasting purpose. You see, God does something tremendous in our life. And when he does it, he does it completely. And when he does it, he doesn't do it man's ways. He doesn't mix the old with the new. He doesn't try to patch up the old, and he hasn't done that with you. You need to join in the celebrations. This yours sure is because Jesus is near in your life. You need to rejoice in the transformation. He didn't patch you up, and he didn't leave you at the world's mercy. He made you new and he made you complete and he did everything that needed to be done. We find that also, and finally, as we see here, you need to trust his preservation. (laughs) He's the one that said he wasn't going to put the new in the old, he was going to put the new in the new so that it could all be preserved. He's done the job right. I wonder, today, a couple of simple questions in closing. Have you been made new? (laughs) Because I'm saying to you, what is it? I asked this morning, what is it? What is it in your life? How deep does that pain go? What is it that has hurt you so badly? That it's too big for God. That it's too big for what Jesus Christ has done for you. The simple truth is either He's sufficient or He isn't. And whatever it is in your life, either you're going to have to look me in the eyes and tell me that Jesus isn't sufficient, that His grace isn't sufficient because, folks, that's what we're talking about, not just a grace that'll save you and get you to heaven one day, but a grace that you can stand in, a grace that you can stand in right now and that others can see that grace in your life, a grace that will sustain you through all the tribulations and all the tough times when people understand and when people don't understand, a grace that will serve you and that'll let you serve him. The truth is, you see, yes, there's some obedience that's going to take place in your life if you're ever going to have that place in your life. And that's going to come through your conversion and your confession. And it's going to come through your communication with this world. Yes, what you speak, but what you live. But also... God does what he does completely. Jesus Christ does it completely. And Jesus is saying here, man, when he's near, it's a time to celebrate. You can either join in the celebration or you can sit back and feel sorry for yourself. You see, I'm not, I understand. Things can be real and things can be hard. But Jesus is better. And Jesus is bigger. And Jesus is able. Don't let him take away your joy. Don't let him get you down and beat you down to where that. As a psalmist, I said this morning, had to pray, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Maybe that's where you are this evening. You need that joy restored. You need to join in the celebration of the nearness of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. You need to rejoice in the transformation that he made when he made you new and he did it complete and he did it right and trust in his preservation that I don't care how hard it is or how tough it is or what you're going through, he's done it right and he's the one that will preserve you. The world can't destroy you. The world can't tear you down. The Christians sure do a good job of trying to destroy themselves sometimes. Sometimes. And tear themselves down. And it hurts. It hurts not just when you're the one that's there, but it hurts when you see those around you. And you know that that's not what God wants for us. He wants us to live a life of grace and joy. That doesn't mean there won't. He says In the middle of the tribulations and all the trials and all the temptations and all the tribulations and all that, we're still talking about being able to have a joy even at the worst of times, just like the church in Acts that we looked at this morning. Man, when people were being saved by the thousands and when they were all being scattered abroad because of the great persecutions that were upon them, the grace of God was still there it was still sufficient. This evening we come to celebrate around the Lord's table. I planned on preaching a bit shorter. But I completely forgot about that down there. But that's all right. You see, we're here to celebrate his nearness around this table this evening. And he said, well, that's... Not your typical communion sermon, and that's what I thought when the Lord first. You know, I didn't, I didn't know who's here this morning and tonight, but I, I know that God knew, and I know that God knows. And the thing is, is that. Then I had second thoughts, and I said, "Well, Lord, you give me this, and the truth is that as I begin to look, yes, it really is because when we come around the table." We're remembering and celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ and the complete job that He's done in our lives and remembering Him. And really the whole purpose of the table is for communion and fellowship and for us to look and for us to be honest. Is there something in my life that's separating me right now? Is there something in my life That's keeping me from knowing that nearness of the Lord. You see, you can look at this from two sides. This bread and this cup that we're about to receive of here, it won't do anything to take that away. But I promise you this, the Bible tells us very, very, very clearly with the world. You see, I can promise you this evening, if you've never been saved, then you'd just be making a mockery of taking of this because it can't save you. If you are saved, you know what the Lord wants this evening? He wants us to come, and as we come into His presence and we ask ourselves, is there anything in my life that is separating from me? Any sin, anything that I need to deal with, some difficulty, some problem, some trouble. He said, examine yourself. Judge yourself. He said, I don't want to judge you. He said, if I do, I'll chasten you so that you're not condemned. But the truth is, he wants that fellowship this evening. If there's something in your life right now, right where you are, you're the only one that can take care of it. You're the only one that can come to him. If you know there's something there and you're not willing to deal with it, then again, you should not take of this bread and this cup. Because to do so is just simply making a mockery of the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. I would say to all of you this evening, as a church, as a body of Christ, we come around this table and so for those that are members of Bethel Free Baptist Church, You will have been saved and baptized and therefore we would trust and hope and pray that if there's anything in your life right now that is not as it ought to be, that you would deal with it right now so that as a church we can have that oneness and that unity that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't practice open communion. That's not because we're haughty. We don't say Anybody can come that loves the Lord. We do practice close communion. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ and are part of a church of like precious faith and like fellowship, that you feel that you can join in fellowship with our church without making a mockery of that, then we invite you to join with us this evening if we're in harmony and accord. And that as our church... You've been born again, and you've been baptized as a believer, and you're part of a local New Testament church that would believe in practices we do. Otherwise, we're not doing this haughtily. We're just saying, this part is not for you. Let it witness to you. Let it speak to you. Let it tell you what you need in your life, whatever that it may do. Father, we thank you this evening, and Lord, as we come to this part of the service to where we're now we're going to first of all receive of this bread. Lord, you know the hearts of everyone that is here. It is a special time. It is a searching time. And I pray there now, Lord, that you would allow each one to just do as you have instructed in your word to examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Lord, as we give you thanks for this bread, we do so as we realize that it is in remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ and his body that was broken for us. So we ask now your blessing upon it and upon each one that is able to receive of it. And Lord, that you would use it as a witness and a testimony to anyone here that can't this evening. For it's in Christ that we do it in remembrance. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you.